0: Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, part five in our series Good News People in a Bad News World. We're going to be looking at one of the aspects of the gospel where Paul calls us the church, the very temple, the dwelling place of God here on earth. So what are the ramifications for this? Well, to answer that question, we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, kind of taking an overview of some of the things that Paul addresses with that church concerning being the dwelling place of God. So let's go ahead and head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. But here's the deal. Here's what happened. Uh, Christians revered this site as being holy so much that they fought over it. <laughs> the, the The Greek Orthodox were fighting the, the Armenians, the Armenians were fighting the Roman Catholics, they were fighting the Coptics, and, and if you look back over the centuries, different groups would control this church building at different times, but the, the, the kind of sad, really sad thing is that under the Ottoman Empire, Muslim Empire, the Ottoman Turks, several hundred years ago, the the Muslims got tired of watching the Christians fight over this building, (laughs) and so they said, okay, look, if you guys can't decide who's going to run this thing, then fine, we're going to let you all run it. You get a piece, you get a piece, you get a piece, you get a piece. And so the church is divided up into six, different, you know, between six different Christian denominations, Uh, Protestants are not represented there. These are like the old denominations going back to the beginning. Now, what is really sad, you can look this up on the Internet. There is this thing called, if you just Google, the immovable ladder anybody heard of the immovable ladder before the immovable ladder is this ladder that is placed in this one part of the church which is actually a common area now this is kind of the funny part of the the muslims when they divided the church up among the christian uh different denominations they said okay everybody gets a piece but this one little piece over here is going to be a common area so in this common area if anything's going to happen in this common area you all have to come into agreement about this So the story goes about the immovable ladder, and you can find it there today, is that somebody put a ladder up in this one section of the church that was the common area in 1857. And that ladder still remains there to this day. Because the Christian churches that are gathered there can't agree on who should move the ladder and where it should go. Seriously, look it up. It's sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sad. I, mean, I work there. Uh, and, and, and I guess what, it, what it was really sad and disheartening to me is like, here we are at the At the spot that should be like the holiest spot in Christianity where Jesus was crucified. It should stand for love and humility and reconciliation between humans and God and humans and one another. And yet that very spot that should stand for that is the most divisive place for Christians on planet Earth. You know, it's really sad. You can actually look back over the last decade and there are actual brawls, fights that break out there. Like they have to call the cops there's a, there, like, I think it was back in 2006, six, the, the Eastern Orthodox Church was having a festival there. And there's like a you know, thousand people in this church with candles and stuff. And then some, I, I don't know what started it, some other group of Christians are in there. And then they get in a fight and they're fist fighting in a church during a religious festival celebrating what Jesus did. Do we have a problem? <laughs> And so it was really kind of disheartening for me, like, you know, to see this, this amazing church building that is, is yet a sign of the divisions within the church. It's disheartening because of what they did, but it's also disheartening because of the mentality behind it. See, Christians, among all people in this world, should say that there's no holy piece of one holy area in, in, on planet Earth anymore. Because of the resurrection, we Christians who say that the whole earth is holy. The whole earth is the promised land. It's not just this little physical geologic you know, geographical area in Israel. The whole world is the promised land. The whole world is holy. See, the good news is that God, uh, you know, under the Old Testament, the the Jewish people believed that there was only one place on earth where heaven and earth intersected, where God's presence was manifest, and that was the the, the temple in Jerusalem. But the good news for for us Christians, what we believe is that God doesn't reside in brick-and-mortar buildings anymore. This building is just a shell, you know. There's nothing special about it. I mean, I like this building. God doesn't dwell in this building; He dwells where, in us. Now, this is revolutionary, people, because whether it's, you know, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, everybody has sacred buildings all over the planet, even Christians. (laughs) But 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 the reality, the good news of, of of the of the gospel is that there's no holy buildings anymore. We are the holy building. You and me, together, we are the dwelling place of God's spirit. And so I want to look at this aspect. We've been in this series called Good News People in a Bad News World, and today we're going to look at the book of 1 Corinthians, the whole book. And I'm going to try to do it very quickly. I'm um, oh, oh, my gosh, you picked the wrong day to come to church. <laughs> Can we lock the doors? I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul introduces us to this idea of us being the temple of God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. I think we've got it up there on the Yes, we've actually got scriptures on the screen today. Um, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, this is the day of judgment, will bring it to the light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even as though one escaping through the flames." Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together, or as we would say down south, and y'all are the temple of God. You together are the temple of God. How different would it be if in our relationships with one another in the church we actually treated one another as the temple of God's spirit? You want to talk about revering a holy place? I mean, you go to the Holy Land, people get all crazy, like, wow, Jesus stepped here. <laughs> he turned water into wine in this place. This is this is the Sea of Galilee. People erect shrines and they sell, you know, I was in Cana, which was where Jesus turned water into wine. Guess what they sell there? Wine. You can get a bottle of wine made in Cana. I don't think it's probably as good. But we, we, we revere holy things. We look for holy artifacts and we revere these things as if they're special. What if we treated each other as the dwelling place of God's spirit? How might that change our attitudes? Oh, come on now. Paul is saying, don't act like you're just mere human beings anymore because you're not. You are the dwelling place. You are the temple of God's spirit. You are holy because God's presence is in you. His spirit's in you. See, this is what I love about Christianity. Christianity is not merely getting our ideas right about God. You know, it's not just like, oh, I've got good doctrine, brother, I'm going to heaven. No, it's not really about our beliefs so much as our relationship with God. We are invited to participate with the life of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that existed before the world was ever made. We are invited into that by the very Spirit of God. We have God's Spirit in our lives. That's good news. So Paul talks here, he says... Look, there's only one foundation that you can build on, and that's Jesus Christ. That's the only eternal foundation that there is. Uh, if you build on anything else, it's, it ain't going to work. But what Paul says here is interesting. He says, on this foundation of Jesus, you can build with all kinds of different materials. You can build with, with stones. You can build with, with uh, precious stones and metals. Or you can build with wood, hay, and straw. He said, but the, the, the fire will one day reveal what every person's life has been built on that foundation. Now, in the Eastern Church, I love the way they put it, and I, will, I, I would agree with this, and we're going to get there at the end of this message today. The Eastern Church, they see the judgment of God as being the love of God. So one day, we will all stand before God, and the fire of his love will consume everything in our lives that is not made from the love of God. And that's probably going to be kind of a sad day for some of us because Paul says some of you are going to get in, but it's, it's just going to be like somebody escaping the fire. <laughs> you know, like you're going to you're going to get it like like you're going to realize there it is possible to build things upon the foundation of Jesus Christ that have no eternal significance whatsoever. Stuff that will be immediately burned up in the fire whenever we meet God. Or. You can live in this world in a way that actually builds on the work of Jesus Christ through the love of God, and those things will pass from this age into the age to come. We can actually live in the reality of the age to come right now. We can build of those things. And Paul, the way he goes on from this, he says, you are the temple of God. And he says, anybody who destroys the temple of God will be destroyed. What is Paul saying? He says, you can live in a way that edifies relationships that builds community in the, in the Holy Spirit. You can live in a way that builds other people up and where things grow into Christ, or you can live in a way that divides the community, that destroys the community of God, the temple of God. And if you destroy the temple of God, you yourself will be destroyed. Now, keep in mind, you'll, you'll, still, you'll still be saved but it's a path of destruction. It's not the path that, that God wants for us. You'll get into heaven by the skin of your teeth, you know, because you got the foundation of Jesus. But everything that you built on your life, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're building out of those materials, it will be destructive. So y'all follow what I'm saying? So. I want to look from here, we're going to do an overview of 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at a few of the things that destroy the temple, a few of the things that destroy community in the body of Christ, a few of the things that, that are anti the work that God is doing. So we're going to do just kind of an overview of this and, and see these, a few of these things. So the first thing that, that Paul gets on to them about in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8 is, um, wait, 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 not 1 through 8. First Corinthians three uh, verse one, Paul says, You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For one when one says, I follow Paul, and another follows says, I follow Apollos, are you not acting like mere human beings? So so here's the problem in the Corinthian church. Uh there were some people who were saying, Hey, I'm following Paul, because Paul's writing the Bible right now. Like, he's actually writing Scripture. Like it's like, we're going to follow him. <laughs> like, he's got it together. And then somebody's like, dude, I know he's a good writer, but have you ever heard Paul speak? Dude, he's like boring, man. I mean, do you hear about that guy that was listening to him sitting up in the window, and, and he fell asleep, and he fell out the window, and they had to raise him from the dead? No, man, we follow Apollos, man. Apollos can preach it down, man. When Apollos is speaking, man, you are on the edge of your seat. You're hanging on every word. And somebody's like, Apollo, dude, I follow Peter. (laughs) Jesus said to Peter, you're the rock. You're going to be rocky, man. I'm going to build my church on you. We're following Peter. We're like going to build on the foundations of this rock. And so people are dividing into factions. And I know it's hard for us to imagine, but, but for a minute, imagine a situation in which people would divide over the the, the teachers that they follow. I know it's hard, <laughs> but but imagine a group of people that that are, are so uh, you know after this one teacher or this teacher or this teacher and 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 they're dividing and they're they're looking down their nose at other people and they're quarreling with them over these doctrinal ideas. I know it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. <laughs> But, but this is the first thing that Paul gets onto. And, and so Paul just says to him, he says, look, here's the deal. If you get anything from me or Apollos or Peter, then, then that's great. Just consider that the gift of God. <laughs> Don't divide. He said, who am I? Who, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Are we not mere people by whom you've encountered God? I, Paul, I planted, Apollos watered. But it's God who, who gives the increase. So whether you get something out of John Piper or Rob Bell or Joel Osteen or whoever. <laughs> we don't have to fight about these things and break into divisions. If God is speaking to you through something like that, then great. Praise God for whatever he's given you. And, and I'd say that about myself. Don't, don't, I, I, I don't want you to go out there and say, we follow Crispin and <laughs> y'all are all losers. I know, I know y'all are tempted to do that. <laughs> I just want you to know, like, I don't want you acting that way. <laughs> Secondly, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, he, he rebukes the Corinthian church for lawsuits within the church. He says, you guys are suing each other in front of people. Have you ever seen this, like, like where there's lawsuits between major Christians, and it's just like, Ugh. Just kind of leaves you feeling funky. And he says, why are you going to court in front of the Gentiles acting like you're just mere human beings? Don't you know one day you guys are going to judge angels? That's what Paul says. He says, dude, there's going to come a day where, like, you, you guys, like, you get to be the judges. Like, why don't you start acting like Jesus a little more right now? In fact, Paul says, why don't you just, if somebody's got something wrong with you, instead of taking them to court, why don't you just let them have it and trust God with your vindication? Why don't you just act like Jesus? Jesus didn't hold on to everything. He didn't fight for everything. He trusted his life to God. I know this is easier said than done, and if you're, you're being wronged by another Christian right now, I don't want to make light of that. But but this is a source of divisions in the church. This is destroying the temple. From that, he goes on to sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians six twelve through 20, he says, Flee from six... Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So Paul was dealing with a group of people who, by the way, in in Greco-Roman world, uh, it was quite common to go to the local temple and find a temple prostitute prostitution was was not just you know something people did so much i mean they did but it was actually attached to idolatry it was attached to pagan practices and so um you know, Paul's saying, look, and and this is the point where Paul actually breaks it down from we are the temple of God together to you individually are the temple of God. he's like, you wouldn't want to take the temple of God and unite it with a prostitute? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, I'm not going to spend much more time on that, but you get the point. Um, And then in First Corinthians 11, see, we're almost done with First Corinthians. Um, Paul deals with the abuses of. Of of the Eucharist, the Lord's Table, Communion. Now, now I, I love this. Um, in First Corinthians eleven verse seventeen, Paul says, "In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good." Have you ever been to a church? <laughs> Hopefully, it's not here. But have you ever been to a, a have you ever been a part of a, a church meeting where it's like it actually did more harm in your life than good? I have on occasion. But Paul is actually Paul is the guy who started this church in Corinth and he's he's writing to them he says you know that thing you do on Sunday mornings like it's actually doing more bad than good like just stop doing it. Wow. And what is Paul getting at here? He says in the first place uh He says in verse 20, he says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those that have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. What what is Paul getting at? (laughs) Basically, in the early church, there was no church building. So if you were going to meet, you would find some rich person in the church and you'd say, hey, we'll meet at your house. And so what would happen is the rich people would all show up to church on time and and they would have what they would call a love feast. And um, they would just basically eat dinner together. It's a big potluck. And then they would have the Lord's Supper as a part of their dinner. But here's what's happening. The poor you know, blue collar guys and the slaves and the different people that have to work all day, by the time that they would show up at the house that night, everybody's full and drunk. <laughs> and these poor these poor people that show up late, you know, when they can get there, they can't participate in communion because everybody else is fat and happy and loaded. <laughs> and so Paul's going, Dude, you are you were actually you're not, you're not very much showing the love of God. And it's amazing to think of communion as being this place of division in the church, and yet that's exactly what he says. So he goes on in verse 27. He says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now, may, perhaps some of you have grown up in a denomination, a religious experience, when it came time to take communion. I'm sure there are some of you who were scared to death to take communion because you heard this, this verse in the Bible. Um that you know you don't want to drink judgment on yourself, you know, and, and you need to get introspective and think of every sin. And I know I was that way, you know. I was like, oh gosh, did I confess enough sins? You know, I don't want like this to to do something bad. But what is Paul saying here in context? He says you're you're drinking judgment on yourself because you don't discern the body rightly. What what is Paul saying? You are not valuing who is the body of Christ. It's us. So Paul is, is, is not saying we just need to get real introspective and try to think of every bad thing we've done and and, 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 and you know, personally, individual lives. No, what Paul is anchoring this in is there are people who are not getting to participate in this. People are dividing in the church over anger and jealousy and suing each other. He says, you are not discerning the body of Christ. You're treating the people in the church as if they're mere humans. You're not treating them as the dwelling place of God. And so when you take of the bread and the cup, you're actually bringing judgment on yourself. Because you're not living in that reality. We say this all the time when we take communion. That the broken bread and the poured out wine are symbols that point to a greater reality that we would do this in remembrance of Jesus. Not just take of these cups and and, and the bread, but that we would be broken and poured out for one another. And you can only do that if you see other people as valued by God, if you recognize the body of Christ in your midst. If you're walking around like nobody else has the Holy Spirit and everybody else is just normal, um, then don't take this. (laughs) Don't take this bread. Don't take this cup. If you're unwilling to live in the reality of what Jesus stands for, if you're unwilling to value the Holy Spirit and other people, then don't take the bread and the cup this morning at the end of this service, because it's not going to be a good thing for you. Then Paul moves on from there to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, and he touches on the Divisions of the spiritual gifts now now the first the church in corinth was like the most charismatic church that we see in the new testament I mean these these guys when you read about it like in first corinthians 14 Like when people come in everybody's speaking in tongues. It's just crazy hanging from the chandeliers uh, It's a wild group of people and paul is having to, to 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 address How spiritual gifts have even become a place of division? Isn't this interesting? That very good things, like spiritual gifts and taking communion, that you can do those things in a way that does not build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You can do those things in a way that are not edifying, that actually destroy the temple of God. It's possible. Anybody? Okay. It's a quiet church up in here this morning, making me work too hard. Um. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8, he says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith... By the same spirit to another gifts of healing by that one spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and still to another the interpretation of tongues all these are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each of them just as he determines. See, here's the deal. In the church in Corinth, they were focusing on a couple of the really glamorous, you know, powerful gifts, you know, and they were they were getting like wearing tongues as as a badge, like, you know, if you got the gift of speaking in tongues, you're better than everybody else. God's blessed you. And Paul is saying, no, that's not it at all. There's one body. And in that body, there are many different expressions, there are many different gifts. There's the gift of hospitality, the gift of wisdom, the gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of faith, the gift of generosity. These are all gifts. I can look around this church and I can say there are some people that have the gift of hospitality. There are some people who have the gift of administration. There's some people who are really gifted at prayer. I'm not really gifted at prayer. I mean, I pray, but some people, have you ever been around a person that's just gifted at prayer? Like, please pray for me. <laughs> And what Paul is saying is our tendency sometimes is that, that the, the spiritual gift that, that we really want or we really think is the best thing, we want to make the whole body into that. Anybody ever see Monsters Incorporated? There's this little character called Mike Wazowski who's just basically an eyeball <laughs> with hands. And Paul is saying if, 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 you, if you try to make the whole body into one gift, you end up with some mutant thing. <laughs> Like Mike Wazowski, it can see, but it can't do anything, you know? It's just like, I'm good at seeing problems, I just can't do anything about it. I find that that's that's like the most common gift that that people have in the church right off the bat. (laughs) The Lord kind of brought me here to point out all the things that are wrong. It's my spiritual gift. And so Paul is saying, look, in order for the gifts of the Spirit to be operating, we don't need to try to make everybody's gift the same gift. We need to realize that every gift that we have comes from the same Spirit. (laughs) Um, There are certain gifts that I just don't have unless God shows up. But, you know, I know certain people in my life, when I, when I face a certain issue, I call them up because they've, they've got a gift from God. Now, Paul will go on to say in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, look, seek, seek spiritual gifts. There's nothing wrong with spiritual gifts. And he says, I wish you'd all have them. In fact, on the gift of tongues, which they were so fascinated with in Corinth, he says, look, I speak in tongues more than any of y'all. I got a plaque. They said, I'd rather just speak a a handful of words in a language you can understand than than to just have a cacophony of of, of foreign languages that nobody understands and they just come in and think we're crazy. Paul says, look, you know, speaking in tongues, it has its place. It's It's a good gift to have. But then he goes on from this discussion about spiritual gifts and he says, at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, he says, but now I will show you a better way. A most excellent way. He says in 1 Corinthians 13: If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What is Paul saying here? He says he's just going back through a lot of these things he's covered. He says, look, it's possible to have amazing faith that can do amazing things, but without love, it's nothing. It's possible to speak in tongues uh, like Paul, (laughs) but to do it in a way that brings destruction rather than edification. It's possible to know mysteries about the world and the end times in the Bible, and you can get up there and say all kinds of things, and people will rally to you. It's possible to do that in a way that brings destruction to the temple of God rather than edification. He says without love, it's all meaningless, even martyrdom. He says it's possible to go to the stake and be burned for your belief in Jesus and not do that from a place of love. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. See, Paul is saying here, from the, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, he says, if you want to build something on the foundation of Jesus Christ that will survive from this age into the age, of com- age to come, let it be built in love. Because love is the only thing from this age that is going to remain in the age to come. He says even tongues and prophecies and knowledge at some point where there's going to be no need for them. build your life on the things that matter and so basically what paul is getting at here he says there is a way to live your life that edifies the community of god that sees the holy spirit in other people that that encourages other people that suffers long with other people that believes all things that's patient with all things. there's a way to live and when you live in that you are building on the foundation of jesus christ with something that is eternal only what we do that is motivated by the love of God will remain, will survive this fire, so to speak. And this is where we must understand that being good, good news people is not simply a matter of right ideas about God or of having spiritual gifts or of taking communion. It is a matter of treating our relationships with one another as holy because they are. See, this is where it gets real in our lives. Because if I've got an issue with Shane... And I just go and talk to all you guys about how much I don't like Shane and what he did to me. And I go around town, and, and I run his name into the ground. I let bitterness and resentment get in my heart towards Shane because what he did. If I do that, I'm destroying the temple of God. I'm not valuing him as holy. But if I see Shane as, as one who has the Holy Spirit, who's the very temple of God, and I treat him as holy, then what's that mean for me? It means I've got to work through my stuff with Shane. Shane because I see what's going on between us is holy. You get what I'm saying? We can't just walk around like we're mere human beings. We have to treat each other as holy. You want to look for a holy place? It's right here (laughs) in us. You know, when I look around over the last month, I am truly filled with joy at what I see the Holy Spirit doing in our midst. i got to tell you, every week in my conversations with people in the church, I see the Holy Spirit doing amazing works in people's lives. I mean, I see, I see their lives being transformed to look like Jesus. And most of these things, most people, and I, I would say even of myself, you know, several years ago I'd say, eh, it doesn't look spectacular enough. <laughs> I want to see the spectacular looking stuff. But what, I, what, what, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing in just the everyday ordinary things of life that people are experiencing the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Now the truth is I pray for people to be healed quite often, almost every week. And I don't see as many people healed as I want to. I'd like to see more of the, the, the gifts of the Spirit operating in a powerful way. I'd like to see that. but it, But at the end of the day, I do see very encouraging things because I see true love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being poured out in our hearts, and I see it changing people. And that, to me, is the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in His temple. So today, we're going to close by taking communion. I'd like to invite uh, the band back up here. Hey, Dina, you want to come up here and give, (laughs) you want to give communion? Okay. Dina and I are going to uh, distribute the elements to you here in a minute. Before we get into this, I just want, I want us to take a time of reflection right now. And I want us to think of the relationships that we have in the body of Christ today. And I just want us to truly invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. God, God. Where am I not treating other people as if they were the dwelling place of your spirit? How am I treating people like mere human beings? Are there, are there areas where I'm not discerning the body of Christ rightly, where I'm acting in selfishness, where I'm acting to divide relationships rather than to reconcile them? Are there areas where in my life, whether it's spiritual gifts or lawsuits or... Uh, the particular preacher that I like listening to, are there ways that I'm actually working to divide the body of Christ rather than to edify the body of Christ? And I just ask us to think about those things this morning. And maybe God will will bring something up into your mind and you can just say, God, my bad. I give this to you. I don't want to be like that. And perhaps God may even ask you to go be reconciled to somebody today. Maybe he doesn't want you to say anything. He just wants you to change your attitude. But as we come to the table this morning, let's come from that angle. We take this bread that was symbolizes the body of Christ broken for us, that we could be made whole. And we take this cup of the new covenant that says a better word over our lives than the blood of Abel. This new covenant that makes us into the dwelling place of God. So after you reflect for a moment, you can just come up whenever you want to take communion. And then we're going to all join at the end by, by worshiping together on this song. So make your way up.